Hey, daughter. Hey, Sarah. It's Friday. Happy Friday. Yeah, likewise. The sun is shining. Yes, it's a beautiful day. Lots to be grateful for. That's for sure. Well, um, good to be here with you yet again, my father. Uh, this is, I think, the fifth or the sixth net positive podcast energy crash course live that we have done. And today we're going to be talking about the exciting issue of net energy metering. So for all of you out there who are saying, what the heck is that all about? I'm with you and we're going to get some answers um, today as we dive into the subject. So we're really hoping with these crash courses to really demystify issues around energy and to add some new perspective that can help you in your clean energy journey. So thanks again for tuning in. Um, Dad, good to be with you. And why don't we just start super high level? What is net energy metering anyway? And why does it matter? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a big issue. It is the big solar issue of the day. It is the big controversial solar issue of the day that is uh, brewing here in California, but will affect uh, almost every state um in the nation as it as it as it changes but so this thing called net energy metering what the heck is it uh and it's relating to people like me that have solar on my roof and it isn't it's an incentive uh for and we're going to be talking about incentives for solar ways to lower the cost of solar so that people can get into solar but net energy metering it's a regulatory construct construct it's um it's defined as a billing mechanism it's a distributed energy resources compensation mechanism, but it's a, it's a rule required of our utilities by our regulators here in, California, here in California, it's the California Public Utilities Commission that requires the utilities to offer this thing called net energy metering to solar, to solar customers. So let me, let, let's unpack this concept, I think in a pretty simple way, because here I am, I'm in my office and on my roof, I have solar panels. And um, if nobody's home and the sun is shining, there's a lot of excess generation here. And what happens is that all those excess electrons get exported to the grid. They go to the grid. And it's just a wonderful thing that the grid takes all my excess. And then in the evening when the sun is not shining or if we have a big party, we're using lots of power or it's a rainy day or a sustained period of rain, then I'm drawing those credits back from the grid. So this whole notion of sending your excess to the grid and then drawing back when you need it is known as net energy metering. And when it started, and some utilities like my utility still has this very simple system that when I buy a kilowatt hour from my utility, I pay 16 cents a kilowatt hour. When I send a, an excess solar kilowatt hour away from my house and to the grid, when I export, I get the same 16 cents. So that has been a sweet, deal, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, it means that uh, homeowners like myself, and by the way, there's like 1.3 million rooftop solar systems in California, but most of those don't have to have batteries. They're completely backed up by the grid. They've got this nice ebb and flow um, going, going, with the, going with the grid. So, so that's, really the, that's really the basis um, of net energy metering. It was a, a simple concept. Somebody is, is willing to invest in solar, 
okay, that's great. When they have excess, the grid will take it. When they need uh, when they need power from the grid, the grid will provide it. So that's that's the basis of net energy meter. And is that the case in other states as well, like the kind of one for one? Yeah, pretty much, pretty much. That's how it all that's how it all started. Is sort of one for one, or what I call one hundred percent of the retail rate is what you get when you send when you send your excess. But yeah, net energy metering. I looked it up this morning. It's in forty one states. It's in uh, District of Columbia. It's in the U.S. Virgin Islands. It's in the American Samoa. It's in Puerto Rico. You know, it's a model that really helped to spur a young or a fledgling solar industry. It was just a simple way of giving another incentive to homeowners, sort of what I call the early volunteers of the clean energy movement, the people that invested in solar. This was a way that they, that they got um, compensated, or one of the ways that they got compensated for doing that. So it was a perk. Very much so, very important perk. But it seems like the sky is falling according to some headlines out there in California. There's there's a, everybody's up in arms. What's going on? Why, what's, what's the problem? It seems now, like such me, a good deal. Let me hit on the perk for one second because um, it's a big, big perk. Uh, it turns out that half of the power that a typical residential homeowner generates, like, like myself on my roof, half of that goes to the grid. Goes ex gets exported to the grid. So, so that's really important that has it some, somewhere to go. And, and think about this, many schools are closed during the summer. And that's when we used to have our system peak in California. And so all the kilowatt hours that these big solar systems on schools generated, all those would be banked at a very high rate and then dispersed during the year. Corporations, uh, they only, only operate five days a week. Well, those other two days, what happens with all that self-generation? If you can't mm. use it, I mean, with all that solar generation, if you can't self-consume it, then you're relying on this mechanism to go to the go back to the grid to compensate uh, you for the energy you're not using. Compensate you, yeah. You basically you build it up in your bank account. You have a bank account. You build up this credit of kilowatt hours. It's actually in dollars, but you build up this credit, and then in the deep dark days of the winter, when the sun is arcing low on the horizon, and there's very few kilowatt hours coming in, you know you're drawing down that credit so that on an annual basis you're producing what you need. It's just that the grid does a great job of leveling it out. And the grid has become you know, a really good battery. Uh, and, mm -hmm. and basically this, this takes us to why the sky is falling because the utilities have said now for a number of years, yeah, net energy metering was okay when it started out, it was a small thing, but now it's really, really big. And we're having to pay for all sorts of, we're having to pay for all sorts of solar power when we don't need it in the middle of the day. So right, that's not a great deal for the utility. Oh, no. Oh, no. They, when they're, they're being forced to pay a high rate for power to homeowners like me in the middle of the day when they don't need it, right? When they, mm. when they don't need it. So it's, it's, it's a burden. It's become a burden on the utilities. And our regulator here in California, the California Public Utilities Commission, finally came out with the proposed decision in December, just a couple months ago to totally change this whole thing and to really realign it uh, and make sure that, the, that the, all of the customers on the power grid were getting a good deal, not just those that could afford to buy solar. So the, the decision, which we'll talk about, just has drawn a huge amount of opposition, a storm of opposition. There's been articles in the LA Times, in the New York Times, what's going on in California? There's things like uh, a little, some of the headlines are taxing the sun. You know, this is all sparked an outrage. 
the utilities are penalizing homeowners. The PUC is punishing average citizens. Uh, somebody wrote that, that we're levering, levi levying a fine against God. Uh, the utilities are leading us into the darkness. <laughs> so <laughs> there's been an awful lot of sensationalism. And that's part of the reason why I wanted to do this podcast is just to try to unpack the situation. Because the reality is right now is that net energy metering doesn't make sense in, in its current configuration. We're getting too much solar at the wrong time. And we're having our utilities are having to pay a lot of money for it. Right. Pacific Gas and Electric, our largest utility in the state of California, it's it's paying uh, 26 cents a kilowatt hour for net energy metered solar that it doesn't really need, right? And then it would value more like in the five to 10 cent range. So what's happening is, is that um, as many, many more rooftop solar systems have come online, and I mentioned there's 1.3 million in California, that's a big number. There's only seven and a half million single family homes in California. So as more and more of these systems come online and their net energy metering at these very lucrative rates for consumers, for the, for the participants, with very expensive rates for the utilities, it's causing a burden on utilities and, and all utility rates will have to rise. And so up comes this notion of a cross subsidy that all those people that can't afford solar are paying this great incentive for those that can afford solar. So I think it's fair to say that it's, it's, it's outdated. Uh, I was um, at a party with Michael Peavy, who was the president of the California Public Utilities Commission when NEM, Net Energy Metering, was founded back in 1995. And it was really a notion, a way of sort of giving a support to a fledgling industry. And it never was envisioned 27 years later to be one of the primary incentives for solar, solar owners. And can you, can you speak a little bit more on the equity issue? How folks who are not even necessarily able to entertain the idea of rooftop solar because of their socioeconomic status are actually having to pay higher rates because the, the utility is trying to offset the costs of th those folks with solar being the energy metered, correct? Well, that's exactly right. And the, the more expensive resources that a utility buys, and some of them are very important investments, I think, in energy efficiency is one of them. Renewable energy is another one. But the more expensive those investments are, the more that rates rise. And so that is, um, that is um, particularly regressive for low-income customers who don't have, uh, don't have any means of, of, of addressing it. They have no means of it. And in fact, what's happened is now we have so much solar in the middle of the day in California that our rate structure has shifted. And now most of our uh, most expensive rates are in the evening, which is when most people come home from work and they're, and they're using their lights and their appliances and all. So this is a sort of a double whammy. So th this whole, there's lots of cross subsidies in the electric utility industry in rate structures. Mm -hmm. Low income customers get discounts. Large customers tend to be subsidizing some of the smaller customers. There's lots of crossover. But this net energy metering has gotten to a point where it's a large enough deal that, again, the, the regulators are taking a really strong look at it and saying something has to change. And for those on the call who, who are less familiar with um, incentives for going solar, you mentioned that NEM was kind of created to spur this fledgling industry, and yet it remains kind of the predominant um, incentive structure. But what are the others? What other incentives do folks have to go solar? Right. 
not there's not many rebates now for solar, but there were huge rebates. You know, the California Solar Initiative, which started in 2004, provided almost $3 billion worth of rebates for what turned out to be uh, over 3,000 megawatts of solar. So those were really big rebates. Those most rebates for solar were you know, closed out in about 2016. And fortunately, this price of solar came down so dramatically that actually the price of solar came down faster than the rebates expired. But, but certainly rebates have been an important incentive for solar and reducing the cost of solar. Tax credits are another huge thing. There's been the federal investment tax credit at 30% of the value of a solar system uh, that's paid through the, through the tax structure. It's now at 26%. It's dropping to 22% next year and, go, and going beyond that. Uh, corporations can realize tremendous depreciation benefits, tax depreciation benefits uh, with solar. There's other, there's other grants for multifamily and ag, the ag sector, tribes and ports. There's different grants for tied to resilience and microgrids, but but those are the those are the those are the main ones. So the biggest that was always the rebate that's gone. The tax credit is going down, and net energy metering is kind of hung in there as as the one um, as the one incentive that's been really hugely important. But but like you said, it it's, needs to be reconfigured. It's not currently working in its current form. That's that's true. And so and what I, now? Yeah, I don't like. We'll we'll get we'll get to that. Um, but let's talk a little bit of how it came about and, and sort of how it's sort of gotten oversized at this point, because when it, when it was started in 1995, net energy metering in California, the total amount of net energy metering that could happen in the state of California was 53 megawatts. I mean, it was it was capped at 0.1 percent of our utilities peak demand. So it was just a tiny tiny little initiative. It was only for homeowners, residential customers, and it was only for systems that were less than 10 kW. I've got about 8 kW on my house. 6 kW is about normal for a, for a home. So, so it was designed uh, for, for residential. Uh, six years later, that cap was raised to a half a percent, 0.5% uh, of the utilities peak demand and, and then customers that were up to a megawatt could participate and commercial customers could participate. So you can see that this whole, this whole um, incentive mechanism or compensation uh, mechanism was ramping up. Then the cap was raised and, and again, as a percentage of utility peak demand, how much solar could we have on the system? The cap was raised up to two and a half percent. And then in 2010, it was raised to 5%. Uh, in 2012, a different calculation was used to figure out what the peak is, and, and effectively the uh, cap was raised to about 10%. In 2016, the Public Utilities Commission, because there was this huge amount of solar on, on the grid, and, and not just rooftop solar, but also distributed solar out in the desert, just massive amounts, um, realized that they had to do something. So they came up with something called Net Energy Metering 2, or 2.0, in 2016. And that, remember, we talked about the retail rate, the, the fact that I get 100% of the retail rate when I export to the grid. Well, in that decision, they decided, well, wait a second, that's really not fair, because the grid is providing such great value to these mm -hmm. solar customers that they should pay something for it. And so um, instead of getting 100% uh, of that um, export value or the retail value, it was knocked down to about 80, 85%. So, and the, and the PUC then in 2016 said, no, wait, we, we've got to, we, we have to change something here. 
they put off a, a broader decision, but they knew that there was something that fundamentally had, had to change. And right now, uh, there are, there's about 10,000 megawatts of rooftop capacity in California. Now, to put that in perspective, we as a state use about 50,000 megawatts on a peak day. So with our rooftop, we've got about 10,000 megawatts. And then out in the desert, we've got another 15,000 megawatts. So between the two, we have about half of our entire peak demand that, we, that, could be taken, that could be taken down by solar. So we've ended up with a situation in California, it's really fascinating, where we used to have a peak demand, this mountain of requirement. You know, in the middle of the day, you know, our power consumption reaches its peak, uh, and then it tapers off into the evening. Well, now, when you net out all the solar from that peak demand, it's like a big crater. Uh, and so we've got the whole situation now where our peak periods are actually in the evening. So everything is kind of getting changed around by, by this um, blessing of having too much solar on the system. And I, there, are, there are ways of taking care of that uh, with energy storage. Okay, so hypothetically, if there are a bunch of batteries. A lot of could, batteries. A lot of batteries, you could actually capture all that energy and use it for litter. Yeah, and if you think about um, it, that's, that's exactly right. And if you think about it from a utility perspective, a utility that doesn't really, that's just buying uh, power, avoided cost power at say five cents a kilowatt hour, that's kind of what they're valuing in their mind or in their economist's analyses. That's what they're valuing the solar in the middle of the day. So if we could store that five cent power and then discharge it during the peak period, which in California in the PG&E territory is five to 10 in the afternoon or late evening, then you get, you get 48 cents for it, right? So there's, so there's a clearly a, a way that uh, we can capture uh, excess solar and uh, excess renewables, and now fortunately, thanks to storage, store it and then dispatch it when we really need it. But that's what we've got to get to. Right now, the utilities are being burdened because they're having to buy all this solar at a very high price in the middle of the day when they don't need it. Yeah, how did that pass? I mean, you said in 41 states? Well, like it's, an elegant, it's an elegant mechanism. I mean, it, and yeah. again, I think it started really small, um, but it, it was a really a fantastic way of giving people an incentive. I mean, imagine that you didn't have it. Uh, if, you, if you weren't able to net energy meter, uh, you know, you'd, you'd have to be buying, um, you'd, you'd be over-generating at times and just sort of sending power with no value off into the grid. And then you'd have to be, and then in turn, you'd have to be buying power from the grid um, to compensate. So it's, it, was a, it was just a nice, simple mechanism to, uh, to, to make this happen. Yeah. So did we, we covered all the problems with NEM, the cross subsidy, rooftop being costly. Um, well, we, should, we should probably hit on, on that sort of fundamental point that, uh, and this has been a major argument that the utilities have used and a valid argument that utilities have used that they can build solar out in the desert or they can buy the output of privately owned solar farms out in the desert for a fraction of the cost of putting it on rooftops. You know, rooftops are really expensive to build solar on. So yeah. you probably put, you know, you build out in the desert for two or three cents a kilowatt hour and wheel it in at, you know, another couple cents and deliver it at five cents a kilowatt hour. These are very general numbers, but that's utility scale solar versus paying me or somebody else for my excess at, at 26 cents a kilowatt hour. Right. So a big case is to be made that, um, that this rooftop stuff is really, is really very premium. And it turns out that you know most of the people that have invested in rooftops are, are quite wealthy. 
And so they've been able to uh, have fantastic deals, as I have, absolutely. I can go into mine at another time, but my economics are incredible. Probably too good to be true. And now that now now we're having sort of this reckoning. We're coming we're coming to a point of reckoning. We're realizing that that things need to change. So mm -hmm. though all of us that are on this cutting edge and investing in solar, well now we'll be investing in solar and storage, and more and more we'll be allowing the utilities. We'll be in partnership with the utilities. We'll be allowing the utility to draw our power when the utility really needs it, not when it doesn't need it. Got it. So can you talk a little bit more about the California Public Utilities Commission proposed decision? Is yeah, that yeah. something also that we're gonna see happening in all these 41 other states as well? Is this kind of the trend or? Absolutely. How, how, are, how are the utilities gonna reconcile this issue? They're, gonna, they're all gonna, they hope, they hope they can wait for California to figure it out and have a, <laughs> a, a good fight here in California about this and then other states will replicate it. But, but it, it absolutely will be, uh, already is something that many states are looking at because net energy metering net energy metering was has just been really lucrative uh, for the, for those of us that have been able to take advantage of it so the there's been all sorts of proposals you know whenever the public utilities commission opens up a docket or a proceeding everybody gets to comment on it and there's been lots of proposals like leave it just the way it is to I'll get to some of the most far out proposals but but Fundamentally, everybody would agree that the utilities got their way with the proposed decision. And the utilities were just looking through the strict economic lens that they're charged to do to provide us with low cost, reliable power. We recognize that a huge state objective is to shift to a carbon free economy. So right. we have a much larger policy objective you know, that is at odds with this decision uh, that was through this narrow economic lens that said the rooftop solar is too expensive. Hmm. So what did they do? Um, some people called it the proposed decision, the death of the solar industry. And maybe it would be. Um, residential installations that have gotten down to about a five or six year payback. Um, some analysts suggested that with this new, uh, this new decision, the payback would be more like 15 to 20 years. So a lot of people are not going to invest in solar at the 15 to 20 year. But the utilities slapped a fee, uh, a monthly fee, uh, on solar homeowners uh, or proposed to slap a fee, $8 per kW per month. Uh, there's also a $12 per month fee that was slapped on. So, so a typical solar um, owner would be paying, would have a fee of about $60 per month um, just, just thrown at them. There were no commercial fees. Um, the export value, we've talked a lot about that export value when you have excess going to the grid, what value do you get for that? That was proposed to be five cents as opposed to the 10, the 20 to 30 cent range that uh, we've been looking at. You know, that would cost the average homeowner uh, somewhere between $600 and $1,200 a year, again, in, in losses um, in, in this financial equation. Uh, there were some other there were some other things that were uh, egregious, like shortening the net, the grandfathered period for those people that had the early versions of net energy metering one and two, and then there were some positive things. Um, the the proposed decision uh, created a storage evolution fund, so that provided an incentive for storage for net energy metering three customers. There's an equity fund, uh, so that there was means for lower income people to get uh, into into solar and storage. And it also uh, allowed, which I think is fantastic, it allowed people 
to size solar systems at up to 150% of their last year's load. One of, the thing that, one of the things that constrains a lot of the work that we're doing now uh, is that you can only size solar to 100% of last year's load. But what if you're planning electric vehicles or a fleet of electric vehicles, <clears throat> or you're planning to electrify your building for decarbonization? So, so there was a number of things that uh, were positive about the decision, but there's been such an outcry and it's been so, the decision was so heavily lopsided towards the utility position that basically the PUC said, no, we're, stop, we're pulling back. Um, this is all on hold uh, until further notice. Okay. And so, yeah, what's, what's next? <laughs> well, I mean, it's kind of fun. The, uh, you know, some people are saying, oh, they should just rip up the decision, tear it into shreds and start all over again. I think there will be, you know, there will probably be more hearings and more people presenting, presenting their viewpoints. Uh, and there will be more focus on, on some of the points of, um, of consensus. Um, there, there is a consensus, I think, uh, even amongst those that are uh, fighting for net energy metering. I, I, I don't believe in fighting for that. I think we should be fighting for a rational policy that, that balances these, these objectives. But, but everybody agrees that you know, solar homeowners, like myself, have been getting one heck of a good deal. And they are not fairly paying for the grid services. I mean, that's fair to say. That's fair to say. If I wanted to do what the grid does, I'd have to invest heavily in batteries, which would cost me thousands and thousands of dollars. So, so probably a grid service charge is, is probably in order of some reasonable number. Um, there's probably a, a, a reason to, to focus on that export credit and to figure out how to reduce it or at all. There's people are talking a lot about dynamic pricing. Uh, that the more that our prices accurately reflect our time of use periods, that that will actually cause people to consume in different ways. If we have highly differentiated pricing with very high peak prices and very low off-peak prices, even if we leave net energy metering the way it is, the solar homeowners will be getting less value because the off-peak price will be that much lower in that sort of more dynamic um, situation. But the another way of looking at this that I think is really intriguing is that maybe the utility shouldn't be in the business of incentivizing rooftop solar. Uh, maybe this should be a state government function. Right. And by making it a state government function and drawing from the, the treasury, then we avoid all these cross subsidy issues in our, in our rate structures. Right. And another thing that we do is that we stop burdening the utility rate structure already burdened now by wildfire protection and other social programs, but burdened now by net energy metering and solar compensation. If some of those were lifted off of the utility rate structure, then our rates stay in check. And the more our rates stay in check, the less flight there is, less the fewer people are going to try to invest in solar um, and, to, and to basically defect from the grid. So I think, there's a whole new world out there. I don't know what the answer is, but there's got to be a partnership between solar rooftop owners and the grid. And I think that I think the key is that the key in the, the key element in this new partnership is storage, so that we're not producing a lot of solar that can't be effectively used. Instead, we're producing a lot of solar that that can be effectively used. Right and. We do have another crash course on microgrids and lots more content on batteries and storage. 
Um, so for those who are really interested in, about the subject, Dad, how, how do they follow along? How, how do we stay tuned to the evolution of net energy metering? Yeah, I think that's the bottom. I think that's the, the conclusion is that stay tuned. There's a lot, there is a lot going on and there will be a lot going on all the way across the country on this issue. Um, you know, we in California have a, an association called the California Solar and Storage Association that I've mentioned before that does a great job of informing us and advocating for, for solar. We don't want the industry gutted, of course, at this time of climate, uh, time of climate crisis. Uh, there's a fantastic debate that was produced by Canary Media. It's a one hour podcast by Canary Media that covers this issue extremely well. But I think, I think what my, you asked earlier this morning, you know, what's my goal here? And that is just to try and demystify this a little bit and to perhaps you know, decrease the pressure and the angst about this because it's, it, it ought not be a fight but it needs to be a way of finding a collaborative solution that works for all of us so that we do keep the pedal to the metal and keep putting up as much solar as possible, but making sure that it works with the grid as well so that we all have access to, to as reasonably priced and reliable clean energy as possible. And should folks be paying attention to public utility commissions like how would homeowners advocate for this? How would ratepayers um, chime into the conversation, or is there a way? There, you can definitely track public utilities commissions proceedings. They're pretty thick. They're pretty tough. They're pretty technical. Yes. Um, wherever you are, there's ratepayer advocacy groups. Uh, there's, there's, you know, Natural Resources Defense Council has been extremely vocal. Vocal as have others, Sierra Club and others. So there's. There's advocacy groups that we can tune in with and um, make, your voice, make your voice heard. I, I've been trying to make my voice heard simply saying that I don't know what the solution is, but we, we have to keep going with rooftop solar. Mm. We need all the solar we can in our society. Totally. We have to find means of making that economically viable for those who invest in it and in partnership with the grid that we're all relying on to such a great degree. And, and that we're going to be relying on more and more as we electrify our vehicles and we electrify our buildings. So there's a lot, there are lots of resources. I think you could just Google NEM 3.0 and have as much as you could ever possibly digest on the topic. Well, I certainly feel much more enlightened on the subject. So thank you, Dad, for sharing your knowledge with us today. Um, this has been very interesting and we'll be back soon with another net positive crash course, energy crash course coming up. Um, any final words for you? No, I hope, uh, I hope this has been good. It's, uh, it's, a, <laughs> it's a thick subject or a tough subject. So hopefully we've, hopefully we've helped unpack it a little bit. Um, I think so, I hope thank so. You, thank you for the interview. We'll look forward to the next crash course. All right, take care everybody. Bye-bye. <laughs>